Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you will hear our passion for the gospel and people's need to hear it, and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Today, we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's begin our time today. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. If you don't, there's probably one right underneath you. If you reach down, there's some books down there. The black one is a Bible. And you can turn there. The verses will also be up on the screen or if you got it on your phone. However, you read your Bible, turn, open it up, turn it on, whatever. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 15 of Matthew today. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you're not sure how to get there, you can look at the table of contents at the front. It'll tell you how to turn there. And I'm just going to begin with prayer this morning, and then we'll read the Scripture as as we encounter it uh, throughout. We're going to be starting in verse 21 when we start. And so let's, let's just begin with the word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And God, I, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts today. God, help us to remember that you came for to, to save anyone who would believe we are saved by grace through faith and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, God, I thank you that you came, that you sent Christ to to bring us into your family, to to save us, to forgive us. God, I pray you teach us that this morning in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you have experienced what I have, but once in a while you go to the doctor and he's maybe you're at an annual checkup or some other examination, and he pulls out this hammer-looking tool. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And then he hits your knee, right? And then he hits your elbow, and he hits your wrist, and he hits. He begins hitting all over you like a xylophone. He's like trying to get some sort of noise out of you. I don't know, but he's he's hitting you. What what is he checking for? Yeah, your your reflexes. He's trying to see. What response you give to the stimuli he's introducing to your body? He is, he is hitting your reef, your knee to see if your knee will respond in the correct way. And if it doesn't respond in that way, then he knows that there is something amiss. There is something wrong. Well, we're going to kind of talk about that same type of principle really, but, but spiritually in, in the passage that we're going to read today. Jesus is working in your life. He is working in your life, and it's like he's kind of knocking at different parts of your life, and he's wanting to see what type of response might come out of you. What's your spiritual reflex, so to speak? And that is what we're talking about today. Sometimes life happens to us. In fact, all the time life happens to us. And sometimes it's not things that we would like. It's sometimes it's, it's hard stuff we have to walk through. And it's as if God is hitting our spiritual reflex and what we respond 
shows how we are doing spiritually. And that is really the topic for today. So how should we respond to Jesus? How should we respond? That's kind of the issue today. And we're going to look in chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And we're going to read 21 through 28 first. Because we want to see that when Jesus acts in our life, he wants you to express your persistent faith. He wants you to express your persistent faith. Let's look at this passage, 21 through 28. It says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region, came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. And he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And he said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. There's a lot going on in this passage, and and one of the first things we need to understand is where Jesus is at. He He has moved from where we last saw him, that was near the Sea of Galilee in Gesenaret, which was a Jewish region, and he starts walking 30 miles northwest into what is modern day Lebanon. If you take your little Bible maps, and you can see this, um, and may, that might be in the back of your Bible, you can see how far away this is. Jesus is a long way from home. He goes to Tyre, which is, which is again, 30 miles northeast, and then Sidon's another 25 miles north of that. You can look at a modern day map of, of Lebanon, and still, these cities are still in existence. They're kind of named a little differently, but you can tell that these are the two cities. And and it is but the point is this it is a Gentile region. This is no longer Jewish. Everything that we have been studying in Matthew, Jesus has been ministering to his home his home people, his his own nation, to the to the Jewish people. So when there was the supposed breaking of the Sabbaths, right? There was there was healings. There was the feeding of the 5,000. There was all this work that was being done to the Jewish people. And the disciples and Jesus says, we need maybe a little bit of rest. Let's leave this area and let's go on a, on a vacation out of, the, out of the realm, so to speak. And so they went and walked to Tyre and Sidon. It's completely, it's completely Gentile region. And they encounter this woman. And this woman has a daughter who's not only demon-possessed, she's cruelly demon-possessed. And this mother is doing whatever she can do to ease the suffering of her daughter, like any mother would do. Their daughter is, in, is, is being 
racked with whatever it is, if it's sickness or if it's if it's pain or if it's just mental torment, but a demon is possessed her and she is in bad shape and the mother is doing whatever she can do to make sure the daughter gets better. And so she begins to cry out to Jesus. Now this word's interesting in the Greek. It's a word they use for the ravens. Anyone ever hear those ravens? Right? And they're just, they're just loud. It's a word that, that meant to, it had to do with like croaking as well, the, the root word. But the word here in the, in the, in the form that it's in, it, it means that she was shrieking, she was screaming, she was shouting. And it's in a tense that means it was continuous. She saw Jesus, she knew Jesus could do something, and she starts shrieking out to Jesus nonstop. Because she's in desperate need and knows Jesus can heal her daughter. So she is crying out to Jesus. And it's also interesting to note that this is the first woman who addresses Jesus directly in Matthew. There is the woman in in chapter 8 who reaches out and touches his robe, but she's not really talking to him until he starts talking to her. Here is this Gentile woman who begins talking to a Jewish rabbi. It's not supposed to happen. She's unclean in, in, the, in the Jewish mindset. And so, but she doesn't care. She's breaking all kinds of barriers. There's the, the, the gender barrier. She's going to go to him and talk. There is a religious barrier. She is not a worshiper of the one true God. And there is, there is this, this uh, racial barrier that she is, she is, Busting, going to this Jewish person, but she's going to do whatever she can take. She do whatever she can do to get peace for her daughter. But here's now, and here's the the great thing: this Gentile woman who is unclean begins to spout off perfect Jewish theology. Okay, she first says, "Lord," she calls him "Lord." This is the the Greek word is not Adonai that we're used to maybe hearing. It is the word kurios. It is a word that slaves would use to greet their masters. It means that he was in supreme authority over, over all things. And she looks at Jesus and she says, I know that you're in complete authority. I know I am, I am your servant. And then she calls, this Gentile woman calls Jesus, son of David. Now this is a title that Jeremiah has kind of instituted, kind of started off, and it's a messianic term. It is it is the son of David. It's not that's not I'm sorry. It's not the one that Jeremiah started. This is this is the promise that that God gave David that there was someone coming. The one I'm thinking of is Son of Man from Jeremiah, so I apologize for that. So she says this, she recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, the King that they've been waiting for. And this Gentile woman not only calls him Lord, not only calls him Son of David, but she says, have mercy on me. Mercy is, is asking for something that I, I don't deserve. It's actually saying, I, don't give me what I do deserve, is what it's asking. Don't give me what I deserve. 
She knows she has no basis to approach Jesus. She's not coming to him on the basis of her good life or how good of a person she is or her good works or any kind of religious works. She's not asking for God, give me what I deserve. I've been a good person. Give me the good stuff that I'm supposed to get. She said, have mercy on me. She's coming with great theology, so to speak. She knows she is recognizing who Jesus is, but she's a Gentile. And so it says Jesus didn't say a word to her. And and, and Matthew kind of emphasized that. It says he doesn't answer her a word. Now, this is uncharacteristic of Jesus. And we think, what is going on? The way he treats this woman seems harsh. It seems unfair. Why is he doing this? And I would, I would submit to you there's really two reasons we see Jesus responding in this way. I think first, we see that he's trying to show the disciples what real faith looks like. The disciples struggled with who Jesus was. If you remember our times up and through chapter 15, they're not necessarily real clear of who Jesus is. This woman is clear. I think the second reason he's treating her this way is he is drawing out her faith. He wants to see what her faith is like. Is it real faith or is it foxhole faith? Because I tell you what, we can all believe Jesus when we're in the pit, right? When when things are rotten and we like, there's no way out, I better start praying, right? As opposed to when things are good, or even when we pray and it doesn't seem like he's answering us even a word. What's our faith like? So this woman is crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy. Kyria, Kyria on. I mean, it is, it is, Lord, have mercy. And the disciples say, Jesus, could you just give her what she wants so she'll go away? Okay, when they say send her away, it has the idea of giving her what she wants so that she will leave. And and they're not moved by compassion. They're moved by annoyance, right? This woman's a nuisance. She keeps shouting at us. Make her stop. Because this woman wasn't going to stop until her daughter was healed. So she goes, she's screaming, and she's screaming at Jesus. He's not answering, so she goes to the disciples, do something, make him listen, have mercy, have him, have him do something for me, crying out, crying out. And so he says to the disciples who say, go do something. He says, I only came for the lost sheep of Israel. Now that's, that's different too. We know that Luke 19.10 says he came to seek and save the lost. 1 John 2.2 says that he is the atoning sacrifice for the entire world. So why is Jesus saying this? Again, I believe these disciples are seeing someone who's expressing a real, humble, persistent faith in Jesus. And Jesus isn't helping. And he's teaching them a lesson. He says, I only came for the lost sheep of Israel. And that rang, that rang something in their ears. If you would look in Matthew 10, back in Matthew 10, when Jesus picked all his disciples and then he sent them out, um, to go, to go preach the word to people. Listen what it says in Matthew 10, 5 through 7. 
the twelve, these twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them. Listen what he instructed them. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go where to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus's message. It was John the Baptist's message. It was Jesus's message. Now it's the disciples message. And they are to go to the lost house, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then Jesus says, hey, I'm only come for them. And I, I really think what's, what's happening is that if you remember last week, if you were here last week, Jesus says, you know what? It's not what goes into you that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of you that makes you unclean. And Jesus is radically rearranging the disciples' idea of what it means to be clean and unclean. Who is it that can come to Christ? Is it only the lost sheep of Israel if they're expressing the right faith in Christ? And the disciples have to wrestle with that. They have to say, this woman's unclean, but she sounds like she's clean. And so Jesus says, only came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This unclean, Gentile woman is expressing humble, persistent, real faith in Christ. And so what, after hearing Jesus say he only came to the lost sheep of Israel, she bows down. She gets on her knees. And, and the Strong's, when you look up this word in the Strong's, it says it's like kissing the hand like a dog licks his master's hand. That's what it says. This woman is begging Jesus on her knees. You could, you could see the tears coming out. And she says, Lord, help me. It's a stance of, of desperation and humbleness. Anyone ever been there? Where you're like, I can't do this. And it drives you to your knees. And, and you just cry out, Lord, help me. I don't know how to get out of this. And he says, is it right for me to give the food that I would give to the children to the dogs? Again, it seems harsh for Jesus. Because here the children in this little parable he tells is, is the children of Israel. And the dogs are the Gentiles. And you know what? This woman doesn't argue. This woman doesn't get up and say, I'm, un- I'm not unclean. I'm no dog. I'm a righteous person. I deserve for you to work in my life. Is that what she says? She says, no. She, she concedes that she is unclean. She says, look, even the little dogs get some crumbs from the master's table. Jesus, I just need a crumb. Just give me... Just a little bit of something. Just a crumb from your table is going to be enough. Do you hear the persistent faith in this woman? She didn't turn and leave. She just kept coming. Because this is the only place she could find God's mercy. And Jesus finally breaks and says, Oh, woman. It's a, it's a title of respect. He says the same thing when he's nailed to the cross and he sees his mom and and he gives John care of his mom. He says, oh, woman, here's here's your son. It is a title of respect. And he says, oh, woman, you have look what it says. 
great faith. Isn't that good? It will be done as you asked. It will be done. Our faith is not proven when we pray and get everything we've ever asked for. That's not when our faith is proven. Our faith is proven when we know who Jesus is and we pray to him and it seems like the prayers are bouncing off the roof. And we say, God's sovereign. He knows what's happening to me. I'm going to trust him in spite of it. I'm not going to trust my feelings. I'm going to trust what the word of God says. I believe who Jesus is, so I put my faith in him. See, that's when our faith is proven. And I don't know if that's where stuff is going on in your life and the storms of life are brewing around you and, and it's like Jesus is testing your reflexes and seeing what type of faith will pop out from you. But we need to have the persistent, humble faith that this Canaanite woman had and just said, I know I don't deserve this. I know I am unclean, but I'm asking you to not give me what I deserve. I want mercy. See, Jesus wants to work in our life. He wants to work in our life. It's interesting to note there are two people in Matthew who are told who have great faith. It is the Gentile centurion in Matthew 8 who said, You just speak and my servant will be healed. And this Gentile woman who said, I want to do whatever I can to get Jesus to, to heal my daughter. You might remember in last chapter, in chapter 14, Peter is told, the head of the disciples, the lead disciple is said, oh, you of little faith, right? But here are these unclean Gentiles who express real faith in who Jesus is. That is the correct response. God wants to work in your life. And he may be drawing out what kind of faith you actually have. Is it foxhole faith? Has your, has your life got to the point where you recognize, I need Jesus and Jesus alone? Uh, even if I ask for certain things and I don't get them, that's not going to weaken my faith in who Jesus is and what, he, and, and what my, my commitment to Him is. What type of faith do you have? Does it disappear when things get hard? Or do you have great faith like this Gentile woman? So when we respond to Jesus, we need to have, we, we need to express persistent faith. What's the next thing I want us to see? The next thing is when Jesus is working in your life, you must glorify your marvelous God. Glorify your marvelous God. Let's look at this next little section. It's 29 through 31. It says, Jesus departed from there, or departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up the mountain, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with him those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowds, look what it says, marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. If you look at those little Bible maps that might be in the back of your Bible, 
it, it would show that Jesus left, leaves Tyre and Sidon. He comes over to Caesarea Philippi, which we'll be back at in a couple of weeks. And then he comes down the east side of the Sea of Galilee, down to the southeast part, which is which Mark identifies as Decapolis. It's an area of ten cities, and it is, again, a Gentile area. And he sits down like a rabbi would do. He sits down, and he begins to teach, and people begin to bring him people. Anyone who's sick or injured or hurt. And they bring him those who can't walk, and he heals them, and the lame begin to walk. And those who have disfigurement and, and injuries... He heals them and the cripple are restored. And those who can't talk are brought to Him. And He heals them. And then the mute begin to speak. And people who have never seen before are brought to Him. And He heals them. And the blind see. This is, this is amazing miracles. And they're miracles that the Messiah, it was promised that the Messiah would do. In fact, Healing the blind was something that only the Messiah would do. If we go back and look in Isaiah, look in Isaiah with the promise of this coming Messiah in Isaiah 35. It says in Isaiah 35, 4 through 6, Say to those with an anxious heart, anyone here with an anxious heart today? His message is, is for you. Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but He will save you. Then, what does it say? The eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for the waters will break forth in wilderness and streams in the Arabah. When the Messiah comes... He is going to bring this type of healing. And then we read in Isaiah 42, something very similar. The father is telling his servant, the Messiah, about what the Messiah's job is to be. And he says, I, in verse 6 of of 42, I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. This is the the Father talking to the Messiah. And I'll appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. Look what it says in 7. To open blind eyes. To bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. And then the next, I don't have it up there, but it says, I am Yahweh. That is my name. It's good. It's good stuff. It is a promise that the Messiah is going to open the eyes of the blind. And when we read Scripture, what we find is Jesus is the only one who opens the eyes of the blind. You can maybe count Ananias when Saul had scales on his eyes and then he touched it and and the scales fell off. But other than that, Jesus is the only one who heals people who are blind to show that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And so the Gentiles marveled at this back in Matthew. They saw all these people coming and they marveled. They were astounded and and stood in amazement. They could not believe what was happening. They marveled. And what was their response? These Gentiles 
glorified the God of Israel. They saw these magnificent works and they said, we're going to worship God because he sent us this Messiah. Now, you might remember when the religious, the Jewish religious leaders saw Jesus healing people. They said, he's an agent of Satan. Remember that? They did glorify the God of Israel. They said, this must be Satan doing the work. But these people had a faith in who Jesus was. And when they expressed that faith, it resulted in the glorification of the one true God. That is what we see here. And what we find out is that the Gentiles not only can have the same faith like Jewish people do, but the Gentiles can worship the Jewish God. We're learning, the disciples are watching and learning, that these Gentiles might be part of God's plan. Maybe there's something to that. In fact, the Gentiles' response is so much greater. You might remember in in the end of chapter 13, it says Jesus went to his own hometown and he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. And here, these Gentiles are just all in for Jesus. So we too are supposed to glorify the God of Israel, the one true God. We place our faith in Christ. That results in a life that glorifies Him, that worships Him. That means whatever He wants, we do. And the things He doesn't want us to do, we don't do. That our life is submissive to Him. And we worship Him. And we worship Jesus not because He can heal the lame and and make the, the, the blind see. We worship Him because He is the Son of God. Because He deserves worship. So maybe today we need to readjust our thinking about why we worship God. Not because of what He can give us, but because of who He is. So how should you respond to Jesus Express your persistent faith. Glorify your marvelous God. And in the last section, I want us to recognize your universal mission. The universal mission. Let's read this last section. It says, And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, for they may faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And he directed people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and fish and giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the people and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. You might say, hey, I think we just read this like a couple weeks ago, right? Um, we just read the feeding of the 5,000. And there's a lot of people who think the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 are the same story, and they're not. They are different. You know how I know? One, 
has 5,000 people and the other has 4,000 people. Okay, That's one thing. Okay, They have 5,000 men plus women and children. That means, if you remember, if you were here, that's about the, probably the population of Montrose had gathered. It's probably 15, 20,000 people who gathered there. He had five loaves and two fish at the feeding of the 5,000. And when he, when he uh, gave, when there was leftovers, there were 12 baskets left over. In the feeding of the 4,000, there were 4,000 men plus women and children. Still might have been 15, maybe even 20,000 people. But there were seven loaves and a few small fish. And there were seven baskets left over. But the, the really the main difference between these two stories is really the audience. The feeding of the 5,000 was done in a Jewish region, and the feeding of the 4,000 is done in a Gentile region. And the question is this, is Jesus going to do the same for the Gentiles as he did for the Jews? And we know that's really the question, because the disciples say, where are we going to get bread? Let me, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, let me back up. They need bread because the people had been there three days. Jesus was healing people and they were the blind were seeing the lame were walking. You know, the lady who'd never said anything in her life started speaking. The, the, the guy who didn't have an arm grew back an arm. The, the, the blind person who never saw saw his family for the first time. I mean, people were being changed and they brought him they brought him stuff. If, if Jesus was here in person and he was healing people and the entire population of Montrose had showed up and there was a line to see him and it was going to take days to see him, would you take your loved one there and would you wait in line? I know I would. I have a, I have a niece who's 40 years old who's been severely mentally handicapped since she was born due to a doctor's negligence. She's got the mental capacity of maybe a one or two year old. Never really been able to communicate with her, not well. And if Jesus was in person here and he was healing people, I would do whatever I could. I'd go get her. I'd come. I'd stand in line. I'd pack a lunch. But you know what? If that food ran out, I wouldn't lose my place to go get a hamburger. I'd sit in line waiting to make sure she got her turn with Jesus. Right? That's what's happening here. And the people are getting hungry because it's been three days. They didn't bring enough food. But they're not going to lose their place in line. And Jesus sees this and it says he has compassion on them and says someone's going to have to feed these people because they're going to start passing out. Because they're not going to leave. And the disciples say, well, where are we going to get this kind of bread? Gee, I wonder, right? They just saw the feeding of the 5,000, did they not? They just took home each a big basket left over from this, from this feeding of the 5,000. They should have remembered that. But the question was, well, that was for the Jewish people. He's surely not going to do the same thing to these unclean Gentiles, is he? And you know what? You read chapter 14, you read chapter 15, and the reason people think they're the same is because they read very similar. He took the loaves. He broke them. He gave it to the disciples. And the disciples gave. And you know what? The more the disciples broke the bread, the more bread they had to give. The more fish they handed out, the more fish showed up. They kept giving it out and giving it out and giving it out. And while the stories are similar, the first half 
of Matthew 14.20 and the first half of Matthew 15.27 are exactly the same in, in the Greek. It says they all ate and they all were satisfied, both Jew and Gentile. That is the that is the story that's being told. And again, this isn't like a lunchable, right? This isn't God handing out a little bitty snack or the Lord's Supper. It wasn't crust of bread, sip of a juice. This was all you is all you can eat fish fry with bottomless breadsticks. It was all you could eat, right? You go and you would eat. People get done. They'd have to undo their belt when they got done laying on the ground because they they, they he was afraid they'd faint on the way home. Now they're not sure they'd get home because they ate so much, right? I mean, it is. They are satisfied. And, and the word there, again, we've talked about this in the feeding of the 5,000. It's a word that they use when they're talking about fattening calves. Right? They were satisfied. They were full. And the, the question was answered. Just as Jesus satisfied the Jewish people, he's going to satisfy the Gentiles. His mission is universal. And by universal, I don't mean everyone's going to be saved. I don't, the scripture doesn't say that. It's that he came to provide, to provide salvation for the world. He's teaching his disciples and through them he's teaching us that his mission is universal. He didn't come just to save the Jews. He came to save the Gentiles. Luke 19.10, as I said before, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. doesn't matter who they are. 1 John 2.2 2 says He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for the entire world. That His blood covers the sin of the entire world. And that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jew or Gentile. Male or female, young or old, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is, that is the good news. And since Jesus' mission is universal, then my mission's universal, and your mission is universal. That we are called to make sure that Anyone who has a pulse, that we make sure we let them know the good news is Jesus came to purchase salvation for them through his blood. The last verses of Matthew, we'll get there eventually, maybe by the end of the year, but the last verses in Matthew say, go and make disciples of all nations. That is our call. Revelation 5.9 says that, that the Father purchased through the blood of His Son, He purchased salvation for men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And one day, one day, every believer who has ever trusted in Christ, past, present, future, if the Lord tarries, will be gathered together together. And we'll sit down and Jesus is going to feed us again, but not with necessarily fish and breadsticks. Listen how Isaiah describes this in Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6, it says, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for who? All peoples on this mountain. 
a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. Us Baptists are going to have to change up in heaven. Anyway, and on this mountain, we will swallow up the covering, which is for all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe, the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. And he'll remove the reproach of his people from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God from whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. It's, it's the banquet at the end. And in Matthew and in Revelation 19, it's called the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me read that as well. Picture every believer from the past, the Old Testament saints who believed in a coming Messiah, the, the early believers who died for their faith, people from across the globe who have lived and died faithful believers. People, our loved ones that we know who have passed, all sitting around a giant table, Revelation 19.6, then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, picture, picture Niagara Falls and that sound, right? Like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise Yahweh. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride, that is every believer who has ever lived, His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saint. And He said to me, write... Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. John saw the same vision that Isaiah did, and it was this. The universal mission of God is going to be complete. That every person who trusts in Christ will be gathered together with their Savior for eternity. That is good news. And you know what? You've been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You've been invited through the blood of Jesus Christ. But to accept that invitation, you have to lay down your life and give it to the Lord. You have to express persistent faith like this Canaanite woman and say, I am unclean. I don't deserve anything from the Lord, but I need this forgiveness that He offers. I want the hope of eternal life. And I'm going to keep coming. No matter what happens around me, no matter what my friends or family is going to try to talk me out of, I'm coming to Jesus because He is the only source of mercy. And we glorify our marvelous God who does marvelous works in our life. That's not why we worship Him. That's just the gravy on top. He is just, He he just does great things for us. But we, we magnify Him, we glorify Him, we worship Him through our life through our words, through our thoughts and actions. And then we recognize this universal mission that says, everyone I know 
needs to hear this message. Every person that I encounter needs to know Jesus died for them. Because one day it will be too late and we want, we want all our friends and family to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through how Jesus is working in your life right now. Have you expressed a humble, persistent faith in Jesus? Does your life glorify the one true God? Maybe you're a believer, but you're, you have not been engaged in the mission to let the world know that Jesus brings salvation to the world. We are saved by grace through faith, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's God's working in your life, and you say, I need Christ in this way. I've never asked Him in my life before, and I need Him now. Heavenly Father, I come and I ask that You would work whatever work You want done in our life. God, that You would humble us. You would give us that humble faith of this Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman who who just begged You for mercy. And God, we ask that. And I'm so glad we don't have to beg You. That we just come and surrender our life to You. And You lavish Your grace and Your mercy upon us. I pray that if there's someone here who's never trusted in you, they would do so today. And God, for any believer here who needs to remember that our lives need to glorify you, we need to be on mission for you, God, I pray that you would remind us of that today. That you would reveal anything in our life that would be a hindrance to that. You would help us remove it. And God, you would be king of our life. And I ask this all in Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.